Good morning, everyone. As you have surmised by now, Brady is out of town this week, and so I will be filling in for him. It's always a privilege and an honor to be able to uh, share with you a message, and Brady did give me the permission to deviate from our series that's been going on in the book of James, and so I took him up on that offer, and I've decided to go in a different direction this morning. I decided to share something with you that the Bible does not say. Now, most of the time when we hear a sermon, we hear a sermon on what the Bible does say. So I guess I'm doing things a little bit backwards this morning, approaching it from a different angle. But before we get started, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for the opportunity to be in your house to open your word. Father, I just pray that your spirit would be among us. Speak through me today, Lord. May this uh, message touch the hearts of those who are listening. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I ask you, how many of you recognize this? Luke, I am your father. Well, I'm sure everybody recognizes that line from Star Wars. I'm sorry for the poor impression there. But um, did you know that that line is actually not in the movie? And some of you who like old movies go way back and think about the movie Casablanca. Humphrey Bogart's character in that movie uh, owns a bar and he has a piano player in the bar and he is often quoted as saying, play it again, Sam. But once again, that line is not spoken in the movie. And I'll bet almost everyone can quote the most famous line from the Apollo 13 explosion. Houston, we have a problem. Now, that line may have been spoken in the movie, but if you read Jim Lovell's book about the actual event, he states in that book that Houston, we have a problem was never actually spoken by him or any of his crew. So, why am I telling you about things that weren't said? Because we think they were. We have come to accept them because we have heard them so often and repeatedly. And so we take them as truth. But in reality, those lines are slight distortions and variations of what was actually said. And I want to look at a phrase today that people in the Christian community have come to accept as true, as biblical, as gospel. But in reality, it's a phrase just like the one in the movies. It's a distortion and a variation, a misinterpretation of what God did say. And the phrase that I want to talk about this morning is this, God won't give you more than you can handle. I think many people assume and believe that the Bible says that. But the truth is, you won't find that phrase in the Bible. The phrase has been spoken by many people. Perhaps you have said it to someone. Maybe you have had it said to you. I'm quite certain that somewhere in my past I have said that to somebody. Now, there's no malice or evil intent behind the phrase. Rather, it's just the opposite. It's meant to be a word of comfort and encouragement. It's to be positive and an uplifting phrase. We say it to encourage a family member or a friend who is experiencing a difficult and tough time. And that's very important. Christians should never fail to encourage one another. But we should encourage one another with words that are true. We should be careful to accurately convey the truths of Scripture and not misinterpret them. Satan was guilty of doing that very thing 
when he tempted Jesus in the desert. He told Jesus, if you throw yourself off this temple, God will send his angels to lift you up so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. Satan was quoting Psalm chapter 91, but he was misinterpreting it and twisting the point of Psalm 91 when he quoted it to Jesus. The intention of that psalm was to show God's protection over his people Israel and that he would care for them and take care of them when they walked according to his ways and according to his will. It was never intended to say that you can disregard the laws of nature and that you can perform reckless and dangerous circus stunts and that God will step in and miraculously save you with his power, which is exactly what Satan was tempting Jesus to do. Likewise, saying God won't give you more than you can handle is also a misinterpretation. Well, why is that a misinterpretation? Where does it come from? It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where Paul said this, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I think it's worth saying at this point, or just reminding everyone, that God does not tempt us. James 1.13 tells us that God cannot be tempted by evil, and nor does he tempt anyone. James goes on to say that when we are tempted, it's because of our own evil desires that drag us away and entice us. But even when we put ourselves in that position, God has made us a great promise, and that's the promise that Paul's talking about. The promise is that God will not allow you to face a temptation where there is no other choice, no other option, but for you to go ahead and sin. Whatever temptation it is that makes you the most vulnerable, whatever temptation rears its ugly head the most often in your life, whatever temptation has become your Achilles heel, there will always be an opportunity to make a choice. God won't allow that temptation to be so strong that the only way you can make it go away, the only way you can make it disappear is to go ahead and commit the sin. He will give you a choice to do what is right, to honor God, or to do what is wrong. Now, that's a great promise, but that is far different from the phrase that we are talking about this morning, that God won't give you more than you can handle. The truth is that real life is messy. Life is not always a hunky-dory, tiptoe-through-the-tulips kind of experience. Sometimes events and situations come into our lives that are overwhelming and unbearable. There are many stories of people in the Bible who had more than they can handle. And we read about them when they complained to God, when they groaned, sometimes they cried. One of those people who found themselves in that situation was Job. Job was a man of great wealth. He had livestock that numbered in the thousands. He had a large number of servants. He had 10 children. He had the respect of everyone. He was revered in the community. And then one day it was all gone. His wealth was gone. His children died. His respect evaporated. And eventually his health left him as well. And do you remember how that affected Job? He said, I wish I had never been born. He said, why did I not perish at birth? And then he said, oh, God, that you would grant my request and crush me. That is vivid. 
I would say Job had more than he could handle. His burden was so great he wanted to die. Another example is Elijah. I'm sure you all remember the story of Elijah. He was God's man. He led the charge against the corrupt kings of Israel, particularly against Ahab and his evil wife Jezebel. Jezebel was one bad woman. She had a man killed just so her husband would stop pouting and she could have his vineyard. She worshipped just about every false god there was. She collected false prophets like an end table collects dust. She had 850 of them who ate at her table. Who knows how many more that didn't. She had 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, and Elijah challenged those 450 prophets of Baal. 450 to 1. That doesn't sound like good odds to me. Unless, of course, God is on your side. You remember he had that big showdown on Mount Carmel where they both called on their gods, and whoever answered by fire was the true God. And you remember when the prophets of Baal were calling on their god, Elijah was taunting them and ridiculing them because their gods weren't helping them. And then when it was Elijah's turn, the Lord God Almighty showed up for his man, Elijah. He sent fire from heaven to show the people who the true God was. And then Elijah proceeded to wipe out those 450 prophets of Baal. Now you would think after a tremendous victory like that, after such a strong confirmation that God had your back, that you would be ready to handle anything. But we remember what happened. Jezebel found out about what happened on Mount Carmel, and she said, Oh, Elijah, you should not have done that. I'm going to make you a little promise right now. I promise you that by this time tomorrow, you're going to be just as dead as those false prophets. And you remember what Elijah did? He took off. He literally ran for his life. He left his servant behind, and he ran for a whole day into the desert. And when he finally stopped under a broom tree, he said to God, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. Elijah said, that's it. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't bear it. I've had enough. Put me out of my misery. <clears throat> Elijah had more than he could handle. The apostle Paul and his companions also had more than they could handle. Paul shared this with the Corinthian church. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want to use this as the main text this morning. He said, I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Paul says their circumstances and their situation was beyond their ability to endure. They had more than they could handle. They were overwhelmed. And just like Job, just like Elijah, they didn't even want to go on living anymore. It had gotten so bad. Clearly, people sometimes encounter events in their life that are more than they can handle. Life throws things at us sometimes that are beyond our ability to endure. Have you been there? Have you experienced events in your life that have overwhelmed you? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe someone here today or listening online is going through a hard time. Maybe they've just recently buried their spouse or buried a child or been diagnosed with cancer or they've lost a job. 
Maybe there's someone here who's going through a divorce or struggling with a marriage that is crumbling or one who is recognizing that they're going to be short one more time on getting their bills paid. And it's not fair or beneficial to say to them, you're going to get through this because God won't give you more than you can handle. Because the truth is, they may in fact have more than they can handle. Now, I know what you may be thinking right now. Well, Richard, aren't you just a bundle of good news this morning? (laughs) Could you possibly get any more depressing? Well, hang in there. Stay with me, because there is good news. You know, I think sometimes when people give their life to Jesus and become a born-again Christian, they anticipate that their life will be smoother. Oh, they know it won't be perfect. Nobody expects a perfect life. But I think people really think, well, now at least the really difficult, hard times will be over. And they wonder why God would allow life's catastrophes and misfortunes to overcome his people. All of us would love to have God's protective umbrella covering us as we journey through life. Why doesn't God do that for his people? Well, in this passage that we're reading from 2 Corinthians about Paul's situation, he goes on to give us two reasons that provide us with some good news when we encounter those overwhelming overwhelming circumstances in our life. He says this as we go on and read here. Uh, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. God wants us to rely on him. Paul specifically says his circumstances happen so that they would rely on God and not on themselves. Maybe the reason we face and maybe the reason we have situations that we can't handle is so we will depend on him. James tells us to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Peter tells us to cast all our cares on God because he cares for us. God wants us to go to him so that he can help us through. You know, every good parent teaches their children to be independent. We want them to learn to do things for themselves, to take care of themselves. We know that someday they are going to be out there in the world on their own. So we try to build the spirit of independence into them. Don't be weak. Don't be the one who always has to ask for help. Learn to take care of yourselves. And all of us learned that from our parents too. But unfortunately, sometimes we carry that independent spirit and that attitude right into our spiritual lives. I can get through this by myself. I refuse to show any weakness or vulnerability. I will rely on me. That's who I can trust. And God is saying, no, rely on me. I am here for you. Tap into my power. Paul spoke about that very thing later on in the same letter in chapter 12. He said that God's power is made perfect in weakness. He delighted in trouble and in hardships and in persecutions because when we are weak, we are strong. Now that makes no sense to the world. That is illogical. It's an oxymoron. We all know what an oxymoron is, right? That's a phrase or statement that is seemingly self-contradictory. It's like saying at our house we drink from plastic glasses or... That guy's pretty ugly, or same difference. When we are weak, we are strong. That doesn't make sense. 
The world tells us, no, you have to be strong and overcome through your own strength. But we don't have to be strong. We can be weak because God's power is made perfect in weakness. When I am weak, then I am strong. The world doesn't understand that because the world does not know the power of the Holy Spirit. In the kingdom of God, the things of the world get turned upside down. In the kingdom of God, it makes perfect sense. Did you ever have one of your children who wanted to buy something and you said, okay, but you're going to have to pay for it yourself. You want you to save up for it and buy it. And so they worked hard. They saved their pennies. When the, ta- when the time came to buy that particular item, they came up short. And it wasn't that they wasted their money or spent it frivolously or anything like that. They just ended up short. And so you said to them, okay, how much do you have? Say, okay, you put in what you have, and I'll make up the difference. That is the way I see God working in our lives. When life's troubles and hardships overtake us, when it becomes too much to bear, when we have more than we can handle, God is saying to us, get in there and give it all you've got, and I will make up the difference. When you have nothing left, I will fill the void. When you've gone as far as you can go, I will take you the rest of the way. When you are out of strength, use mine, because my power is made perfect in weakness. When I was in high school, I lived in a farming community, and most of the farmers had those big center pivot irrigation sprinklers. And there was a farmer who bought a new one, and the company that he purchased it from was from out of town. And so when they came to install it and build it, their practice was that they would hire a couple of high school teenagers to help be their gophers. You know, go get this, stand there and hold that, do this. Well, somehow they called my house, and I wanted to make some extra money, so I agreed to do that. One day, the boss handed me a socket wrench, and he said, I want you to go down to this next tower down here. That's where the set of wheels were that holds the pipe up and all that. And he said, I want you to take that motor off of the beam on there. There's four bolts in the corner. Just loosen those bolts and take the nuts out and take that motor off. So I went down there, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried, but I could not get those nuts loosened. I simply wasn't strong enough. I sat there and I kept trying, even though I knew I was never going to get them off. I didn't want to admit that it was more than I could do, and so I just sat there. And as I look back on it now, I sat there for a really embarrassing long time trying to do this. Well, finally, the boss had had enough, and he comes down there a little bit exasperated, saying, what are you doing? Why are you still down here? And so I said, well, I've been trying to get these loosened, but I can't. And he said something to me then that I've never forgotten. He said, sometimes in life, you just have to recognize that there's some things that you can't do and go get some help. Paul said these things happened so we would rely on God. Sometimes we need to realize that there are things that we just can't do and go get help from God. He wants us to rely on him. His power is made perfect in weakness. Secondly, in this passage we're reading, Paul went on to say this in verse 10. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Paul speaks boldly that God is the one who had delivered them from their circumstances. His confidence is high that God will in fact deliver them again. He exhibits great hope when he says he will continue to deliver us. We have the same hope. 
God is described throughout Scripture as our deliverer. In Psalm chapter 18, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. In Psalm chapter 40, you are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. In Psalm 140, sovereign Lord, my strong deliverer. God is our deliverer, and he will deliver us. Maybe you're wondering, well, how does God deliver us? When we pray to God and ask him to deliver us from our troubles and we rely on him for help, he may, in fact, remove whatever it is. That's more than we can handle. He may remove whatever is overwhelming us. God has the power to step in and miraculously eliminate our problems. But most of the time, he does not. Often, he chooses to deliver us in another way. I want to remind you of a situation that involved Jesus when he was overwhelmed. Scripture tells us that when Jesus was approaching the time for his crucifixion, he was in the garden. He said, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. His anguish was so great that he sweat drops of blood. The writer of Hebrews makes reference to this particular time in Jesus' life. Listen to what he said in chapter 5. He said, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. We know this is a reference to Jesus' prayer in the garden when he asked if it's possible that this cup be taken from him. Hebrews says that his prayer was heard. But how was he heard? How was that prayer answered? After all, he still went to the cross. He still suffered greatly. He was still crucified. When we look back at the account in the Gospels in Luke 22, we get an idea. We get a glimpse of how he was heard and how God answered his prayer. Luke 22, Jesus said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel of heaven from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He was heard, and then God gave him the strength to endure and to get through what was ahead. God didn't eliminate the burden. God didn't deliver his son by making the situation going away and finding another way. He delivered him by giving him the strength to get through it. God often delivers us in the same way. We've already talked about it, that God's power is made perfect in weakness. When we are weak, we are strong. James told us that the trials that come into our lives strengthen our faith and produce perseverance in our lives. And when that happens, we become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Perhaps God, in fact, allows events to come into our lives that are beyond our ability to endure so that we will rely on him so that we can experience his power, knowing that he will give us the strength to endure and in the process, make us mature and complete Christians. My hope and prayer this morning is that you will be encouraged. I don't know if there's someone here today who's experiencing difficulties in their life right now. Maybe you are in a situation that's going on that feels like it's more than you can bear. Now, I want you to know that God has not forgotten you. I say this to you this morning. Never, never let the presence of a storm in your life cause you to doubt the presence of God. 
God calls us to rely on him and not ourselves. He will give us the strength to deliver us. A Christian never has to suffer alone. The Lamb of God stands at our side. When we weep, he shares our tears. When we sigh, his spirit intercedes. When we are weak and battered, his strength bolsters us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you love us, that you are interested in our lives, that you care for us. I thank you, Father, that you are aware totally of the, inst- of the situations that are going on in our lives, the troubles that we have, the times when we feel overwhelmed. And Father, I especially thank you for the promise that you will strengthen us, that you will give us the strength to get through any obstacle, that we can rely on you, that we can count on you, Father. I pray that we will do that when we need you, that we rely on you all the time. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.